for the movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today, we'll play with the letter K and talk about Tim Hortons. We also catch up on our reboot rumors and watch a spooky flick. It's time for Categorize. It's been a little while since we've done a categorized segment, and so I think it's about time we tackle the letter K. Okay? Okay, sounds perfect. <laughs> um, I can't remember. Do you usually lead us off on this or do I? Oh, I don't know how it goes. I feel like we switch things up every so often. Let's talk about the movie Keeping the Faith. Oh my god, I completely forgot about that movie. It's such a good movie. So Keeping the Faith is Edward Norton's directorial debut. He directed it? He did. Wow, it's so um, lighthearted. He feels like such um, like the I guess because of the, his choice of movies as an actor... It's always such dark stuff. I was I'm impressed at how light that movie was. I know it's it's really interesting. He is uh, he. Here's the thing. Uh, it's not rated high on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not a movie that uh, people talk about. That's true. That's probably why it wasn't on any of the lists I was consulting. But for me, I I really like it. It's a romantic comedy with a little bit of nostalgia. It's got a lot of humor. It's got a lot of heart. And here's the premise. A priest and a rabbi fall in love with the same girl. How does it work? Watch the movie. I The movie's delightful. Um, I think Jenna Elfman is the, the female lead in it. And she is her normal, vivacious, like, quirky self. Uh, and you have Ben Stiller versus Edward Norton as the two that fall in love with her. And it's just... Such a delightful movie. I'm so sad that I didn't put it... I didn't think about it. But it's also uh, it's also interesting because they grew up together, all three of them. And currently, like, Ed Norton and Ben Stiller are absolutely bestest of buddies. Oh, in, like, real so, life? No, in the film. Ah. So it's, it's really interesting watching their dynamic be best friends, be in this religion, but also be in love with the same girl. Um... The late, he, he passed away last week, or last week, I believe, from the day we're recording this, uh, was Milos Foreman. And he is, uh, he plays Edward Norton's sort of mentor, and from what I understand, I think he played his mentor in real life as well, so it was really nice to him to, to lend himself to the film. And he just passed away, so, uh, you know, just a nice little appreciation for the, the late director. Oh, that's really lovely. Oh, I can't believe this was directed by Edward Norton. All right. Um, okay, my my pick that I will put on the table next is Kill Bill. Did not make my list. Why is it on yours? So Kill Bill is not my favorite movie, is definitely not my favorite of the Tarantino flicks, but... Understatement. Yeah, but, uh, but when I looked at all of the K-titled movies that I've seen, you know, it, it made it on the list. I guess I'm giving away the fact that this is definitely not going to be my choice of favorite. Um, but I think that it's also kind of an important film. A lot of people do reference it quite heavily. I think what Ed, uh, what Tarantino was trying to do with the film I th- is really cool and really exciting. The fight scene... I like a lot of the vignettes. I like a lot of Kill Bill. I just... I don't go back to it. I don't think about it. I I experienced it once and it was fine, but it was never it was never something to me that was like and that volume 2 is hard to hard to get through. Volume 1 is way better than volume 2. Volume 1 is way better than volume 2, and that's why I'm only talking volume 1. The one thing I all I hated always in volume 1 was that sound that they play whenever they say Uma Thurman's name? Right. Boy, did that get, like, old fast. <laughs> and then in the second movie, they're just throwing her name around willy-nilly. I don't know. I, I found those choices very strange. But I thought the death, like, the fight scene at the very end of the movie, um, where it had this almost anime-like vibe... And obviously it was a big homage to a lot of the action films coming uh, from 
I guess, different Asian cultures, I assume, um, which he was really obsessed with. I really loved that. I really loved that scene. I thought it was beautiful, but cohesive. And the movie is really cool. And I agree with you. I don't go back to it. I don't think about it that often, but people do. And so it made it on my list. Okay. Uh, And you know what? I think it's good that it's here because I think when people tune in and hear K-movies and they don't hear Kill Bill, uh, you know, uh, we may have missed that as uh, as film goers. It probably should be on some sort of K-list for all the Tarantino hard fans. Well, it's interesting. I find people love this movie. Like, I hear people bring it up all the time and they think it's so great. And I And I sit there and I think, what? did I miss? Like people are so passionate about it. What is it that I'm not understanding here? So I don't know. I don't think I am. I think I like it. That's enough. I don't revisit it. When I do revisit it, I do the whole thing as one film as intended. Oh, seriously? All the time. Yeah. But it's not a, it's not one I ever really want to go back to. Another little indie gem, which I guess keeping the faith is sort of indie a little bit, but not really. The Kings of Summer. Did you end up seeing this one? No. What is it? So The Kings of Summer came out, I think, in 2015. And it has a real great comedic cast of uh, Nick Offerman is like the biggest name, I think, in the film. Uh, But it's got these young kids who decide to build a house in the woods and they run away from home for the summer to do it. Unbeknownst to them, they're parents and everybody are going crazy saying these kids are missing well of course (laughs) of course but they're having the summer of their life out in the woods uh i mean there's nothing it's a wonderful screams jay more than uh kids in the woods yeah if you give me a kids in the woods movie i'm i'm there stand by me uh american pie 2 what other kids in the woods movies? Cabin in the Woods, I, well, Friday the Thirteenth. Stand by Me was the one that I was thinking the most. Great Outdoors. Yeah, lots of them. Lots of woods movies for me. So the Kings of Summer is one that is on my top five K movies. What's next on your list? I will wonder if we'll have crossover. Um, the next one on my list is from way back, I think, in the nineties. Uh, kids. Yes, I could not bring myself to put kids on my list. I thought about it. It is one of the scariest movies I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, like by far the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life. Actually, I even wrote a paper once um, about why I thought it was a horror movie and not like, I guess, a drama, which is what it technically would be called. Technically, it's a drama, but it's also terrifying. Like, beyond terrifying. Um, I think it's, like, a really great movie. I I would almost say that if you're a parent of a teenager, just throw on that movie. Nothing will make your children want to be safe and, you know, like, protected and responsible in their burgeoning sexual lives than this movie. Like, <laughs> Actually, that's a good point. This is, like, the scared stiff. Or scared straight, I should say, film for kids who are like, maybe I should have sex. You know what? Maybe never have sex. (laughs) Or, you know, be responsible and don't be an idiot about it. Oh, it's so good, though. That movie's fantastic. The movie is fantastic. Um, I I think I I really only saw it that one time and but I think and about every, it. You remember every single thing of that film. Totally. And and also I'm terrified to watch it again, but it now that we're talking about it makes me want to potentially revisit it. Like this would be a really great take too. What do we think about it? You know, now versus then. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to do that. That's literally the definition of take twos. <laughs> but you don't want to do it either. Ex- so why make us do it? Just to torture ourselves. <laughs> you just want to torture me. You'll probably be doing other things. And you know how engrossed I'll get with the damn film and be like. <gasps> no, no. This this is one of those like all-encompassing. All you cannot do other things while watching a movie. Especially because it's kind of got this... Um, 
documentary-esque vibe to it. It's also extremely indie and extremely low budget. So the sound, if you don't pay attention, you don't understand what's going on. All right. Well, I, I'm moving on with the list because kids scares me and it's kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Uh, I bring so this up all the time. I'm glad on the it's on your list. Of course it's on my list. I've, I still what, haven't what, seen is it. Is it on yours? I've not, I still haven't seen it, but I know I really want to see it. And so I'm so happy it's represented. Robert Downey Jr., Val Kilmer in a Shane Black film. Uh, if you saw The Nice Guys, but you skipped over Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but you love The Nice Guys, go back and give Kiss Kiss Bang Bang a shot. Um, I love I, The Nice Guys. I love this film. I've watched it maybe... I don't know, 10 times. I saw it in theaters. I was on a date and the date arrived 40 minutes late while the film was on. What? I had to leave and I was so angry that I had to like leave this masterpiece. Uh, it was only that one date, of course, ladies and gentlemen. You think I'd, I would absolutely go on a date with somebody who was 45 minutes late to a movie again? No way. No chance. <laughs> no way in hell. But she... Uh, she loved it. She loved what she saw because the movie's great. Oh my gosh. Do you know who was in this movie? Um, Ariel Winter, the girl who was in, who's in Modern Family, the, the Alex Dumphy. Who, oh yeah, she, uh, she plays the girl who is trapped in the box at the beginning of the film and she gets sawed in half. And she says, when I grow up, I'm going to be an actress. And then she gets slapped in the face. This movie sounds awesome. I love this idea of sawing people in half. <laughs> well, he is Harold the Magnificent. Ah, I, okay. I had no idea. Clearly, I know nothing of this. Um, all Why right. don't you just pop it on and enjoy yourself for the an, hour, an hour and 45 minutes and, and love everything there is to love about Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer coming together and meshing in hilarious glory. His name is Gay Perry. <laughs> all right uh my next one is a comedy as well um a different okay. kind of comedy though it is knocked up oh yeah i forgot about knocked up um does it change anything on my list it's a good movie i don't think it changes my list yeah, I mean, I think this the movie is great. It's quite funny. I, I recall seeing it way back when and um, made me laugh a ton. And generally, I really like John Apatow. So I think, honestly, the one thing about that movie that I would change is the casting of the lead female. What's her name again? Heidi something? Catherine Heigl. Heigl. That's Heigl something. That's what it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, Catherine Heigl, people don't like her. Yeah, people, you're right. People don't like her. But I think part of it for me is just, um, you know, she's a rom-com actor. Um, and that's where she excels. And she brought her rom-com, like that rom-com spin to this movie. And I would, I think if, if it was like a so perfect world, I'd want someone like Jenny so Slate. Kind. I mean, you just said something about Katherine Heigl excelling. I think you're so kind. <laughs> but the only movie I enjoy her in, seriously, out of every movie that I've ever seen her in, uh, 27 Dresses, I think I like the movie, but I think I like the movie more for James Marsden and Katherine Heigl singing Benny and the Jets right? more than I actually like her in the movie. Uh, you know, James Marsden is a fantastic, like, he, he's done a lot of different type of movies. I've, I've loved him in everything he does, but him as a lead in a rom-com was, I, I agree. I like 27 Dresses. He and carries it's, films it's really, he carries rom-coms really well. Yeah. So I think he did a really good job in that. But another option for casting would be Isla Fisher. Isla Fisher is, is terrific. She's funny when she needs to be funny. And the rest of the time she is, she is perfectly anything you need her to be. I, I like that pick. She's also way out of Seth Rogen's league, which is kind of the point of Knocked Up. Right. So that, that totally makes sense. Yeah, that that great pick. Um, all right, we're on to... Why don't we go to Kung Fu Hustle? Kung Fu Hustle. I'm literally looking this up because 
I don't think I've ever even heard of this. <laughs> so Kung Fu Hustle is, it's, you know, it's kind of like, um, how do you explain it? It's like a cartoon, but it's about this, this guy who comes to town and this gang is running this town and all the gang has these hilarious animated special moves of Kung Fu um, and they transform themselves. It's a comedy. It's a gangster movie. It's a martial arts movie. Um, and it stars and is directed by Stephen Chow, uh, who did you ever see um, Shaolin Soccer? No, but I'm looking at the poster and it looks amazing. And it has a quote from Roger Ebert. And it, he says, Imagine a film in which Jackie Chan and Buster Keaton meet Quentin Tarantino and Bugs Bunny. Yes, that's that is like a terrific, terrific um, idea for what this film is. I completely agree, uh, and I think I I think I'm wrong on. I thought Stephen Chow was involved in Shaolin Soccer. Hold on one sec here. Oh no, he is. Yeah, of course he is. Oh my god. Uh, and Shaolin Soccer is sort of the same. It's like this ridiculous, insane martial arts style, but also the visual effects are so insanely animated that it's it's it looks real. All of it looks like it could be happening, but it's so out of this world insane that it's I like I don't know how to explain Kung Fu Hustle. Watch the movie. It's nuts. It's wild. It's crazy, and it's fun and so stylized. Um, yeah, I, that is why Kung Fu Hustle makes my list. Um, is this film like English or Chinese? Uh, it's it's Chinese, but you can find dubbed versions if you like. Uh, it's, oh God, it's so ridiculously great. I can't even tell you more about this movie. Just watch it, just watch it, just watch it. If you like comedy, if you like gangster movies, if you like martial arts movies, this is going to give you everything. If you like the Looney Tunes, this is all those things in a movie. Now, I got to ask you a question before we move on to my next pick. Uh, did you watch it dubbed or subtitled? I believe I watched it subtitled. All right. You know, sometimes for movies like this that seem so physically like involved in the physical comedy and you have to like watch it. I actually consider which of the two options is better just because of the fact that if you really are watching, then that's one element. But whenever there's subtitles, I find I miss a lot that's going on visually because I'm reading. You're, there's no way to miss the lunacy that happens visually in this movie. Well, good to know. All right. Like a man turns into a bullfrog, but a bullfrog man. And like that's his special move, and it's amazing. I don't. I can't even picture. It. Well, I kind of can picture it. And just try. Just just watch the movie. It sounds just so watch fun. The movie. So fun. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. My next pick is near and dear to my heart. I actually even saw it recently, like this year sometime. A kindergarten cop. Aw, Kindergarten Cop. Yeah. I won a contest on CTV in grade four, and I got a Kindergarten Cop jacket that was an adult Kindergarten Cop jacket, and I wasn't able to actually physically wear it until after high school. Do you, I didn't fit it until then. Do you still have it? No, I don't know where it went. Uh. I, I'm not sure. But it, like, it looks exactly like... Arnold Schwarzenegger's jacket that he wears in the movie, the pullover thing. Uh, so it's a pullover and it had kindergarten cops stitched here. And I thought it was cool that I, that I had won it. Uh, we won it for knowing the first Arnold Schwarzenegger movie was Hercules in New York. Um, yeah, I was, I was a weird kid growing up. <laughs> no, just the same, the same kid that you are now. Um, there you go. But yeah, for those who don't know, Kindergarten Cop is an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie made, I want to guess, in the 80s or 90s. Um, definitely in the 90s, maybe even the 80s. 
And uh, it's all, uh, and it was one of those movies that he was making when he was coming out of being like a big, huge action star and he started to do more lighthearted films. And here he is um, playing his action star persona, but now being put into a position where he has to go undercover as a kindergarten teacher. And it is so fun to watch this big man trying to be tough with these little children who melt his heart. And it's so cute and I highly recommend it. It's a wonderful, wonderful film. I agree. We watched it recently. It, it It's heartwarming, actually. Um, I'm just remembering the ending right now when he walks back into the classroom. Yeah, Spoilers. it's so cute. Sorry, and the big kiss. So I mean, it was made in the 80s and 90s. Like, you know what happens in these movies. I think it was like 94. Okay. Or, no, it couldn't have been that late because I was like almost done school. Yeah, maybe late 80s, early 90s, maybe like 90 or 91. I, one of the things I like the most about that movie before we move on is the the villain in the movie. I thought he was great. He was so villainous. He had a ponytail and like greasy looking hair and an overbearing mother who like reminds me of Cruella de Vil. Oh, they, they were both so evil. And it, like when they died... You were so happy they were dead. Like, and the way they went down, I was like, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad for all these things. Totally. It was like, they were really, really, because they wanted to kidnap a child. It was, it was bad news. I mean, to be fair, they were, the guy was the parent of the child, but he's still kidnapping the child no. and he would be a horrible parent to him. Horrible parent. Um, so just a quick update. This movie came out in 1990. Okay. So I was close. There we go. All right. So what's your next one? Last one. My last one is a Disney movie. Uh, I'm going to get some grief online about it, but I loved it when I saw it. Still love it today. It's a Bruce Willis film called The Kid. And, uh, it's not to be mistaken with the Chaplin version of The Kid which I also absolutely loved and almost put on this list, but something about this Bruce Willis film, it's about a man who can't be bothered to be near his father or his family, and he's very successful, and he's an image consultant. And he runs into this child who is him as a child. And... They don't know how they this happened, but they have to sort of figure out why him as a child is now there. How, how does he know that? Is it just that he remembers? Like, you look like me as a child kind of thing? No, he doesn't think that at first, but then they start doing similar things. They start, he starts telling stories about like his childhood and Bruce Willis is like, how do you know that? Who hired you? Uh, that sort of stuff. And when they realize, like, oh, my God, this is happening, um, they have to figure out how to – what they have to learn from this. And Emily Mortimer's in it, and she plays the love interest, and she's wonderful. Yeah, I was just going to say, this is a pretty, like, star-studded cast. Joan Smart, Lily Tomlin, um, Melissa McCarthy. It looks like it was one of her sort of first roles. Uh, because she plays yeah. a waitress. Um, she plays a waitress who uh, they go to this diner and <laughs> the diner is straight out of the 50s. And Bruce Willis is like, okay, all right. Let's like, there's these magical elements. And she comes on over and Bruce, Bruce Willis is an imaging consultant. And the young version of him is kind of fat. So he's like, does he really need all that stuff? And Melissa McCarthy's so wonderful. She's like, all we have is syrupy goodness. And oh, she's just adorable. <laughs> it's a great movie. It's it like it's a good family movie. Um, I don't think it's gonna win my number one, but it's it's one for some reason or another, like keeping the faith I go back to. All right. What's your last one? My last one is Kingsman the Secret Service. You and I saw that movie together. Is that why you love it so much? That's part of the reason why I love it so much. It's so good. And just to be clear for anyone who might be con confused, the first one, not the sequel. 
Nobody is nominating the sequel for this list. No, the golden circle can go away forever. I was so excited for it, and then it sucked. <laughs> but the I first one... I thought about one, putting the Kingsman on, and I, I just, I need to give it a little bit more time. What do you mean you need to give it a bit more time? I think I just need to give it a little more time. I think in like a couple more years, I'm gonna, it's really gonna elevate for me over that time, because Eggsy's so wonderful, and Colin Firth is great, uh... Merlin is fantastic in it. Like I love all of the the players, right? And great I just give dad me a guy. Bit more time for it to become one of these greats for me. Oh, I think immediately. I I remember walking out of that theater just being so excited. Like it. It just. It was funny. It was action packed. It made me happy all the way through it, and uh, I think that that's just worth so much. You know what I think is funny? A lot of people talk about the villains in these superhero movies, and sometimes they're not fully developed. Sometimes they're not great. Kingsman is a comic book movie, and Samuel L. Jackson is a great bad guy. Oh my gosh, such a great bad guy. His personification is so great. It's really, it really is one of those things where you're like, he is trying to save the planet. It's just... We don't want to go through what he's trying to suggest. Right, exactly. I I think those are always the most interesting villains, the ones that have good intentions, but the way that they perceive the world is going to create disaster. That's right. You know, you can't kill everyone on the planet to save the planet, but maybe that's what needs to happen i don't know it's 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 a catch 22 it's an interesting idea obviously i am not going to flip the switch and say everyone needs to die but overpopulation is a problem for sure i mean not to bring it back to mother and darren aronofsky but i feel like that's like we don't we won't have to flip that switch because mother earth sure will that's right. We don't need to do that. We will self-destruct on our own accord. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just ruin the planet till it kills all of us. <laughs> That's right. So here's my question. What is your number one of these five that you picked? I'm I'm going with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang myself. Um, I feel like that seems like a great answer. Top 10. Oh, man. It's like one of my top 10 films, so... I love this movie. I, I love how decisive you are with this stuff. Meanwhile, I'm going to sit here and hem and haw. In fact, um, even keeping the faith is even in my contention. So the things, the ones I'm kind of choosing between. You're going to steal one of mine. Keeping the faith, yeah. Or <laughs> Kindergarten Cop. Like that. that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> Maybe even Kingsman. I, I feel like those are, those are the top three in my head. Which way am I going to go? Ugh. It's so stressful, Jay. Why do you do this to me? I think you need like a three-sided die and just throw it and just like, this is what it's going to be. All right. I'm going with Kindergarten Cop for nostalgia and for just a, a sheer love of this movie. All right. I think that's fair. So it's our break. Um, sorry, we skipped. We did skip a week there. Just apologies. Um, I ended up getting selected for that jury. So I'm... I'm doing that now. Now I am on a four-week trial, so that's wait, wait. That's why we skipped a week because I got a all whole crazy four busy. Weeks? I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you were going to be on the jury for that long. Yeah, it's a long trial. That's pretty cool. I mean, I know you're not allowed to talk about jury stuff because you know, like secrets. Um, but it's got to be kind of exciting and juicy and fun if it's a four-week thing. I got to tell you, it's pretty boring. Really? Like, the first week there were some interesting things, but it's been pretty boring. That's uh, that's about all I can say about it. I wish I was back at work because (laughs) at least I'd be seeing people I know on the regular basis and, uh, you know, I could catch up on actual work a little bit better than I have had to do over the course of jury duty. Now, can Um, can I ask a jury duty question that I think is safe? I think it's like safe in the in the realm of things. Can you bring your phone into that room? Into the courtroom? Yeah. No. No phones? No, you are without phone almost entirely from 9 to 5. Oh my God, that just sounds like torture. 
You have no access to internet. You sit there and you listen to sometimes very boring people. Wow. Say very, very boring technical things for sometimes hours on end. That's so crazy. I just, I can't imagine being without a phone for that long, like nowadays. Man. There's at least three people on our jury that like run back to their phone in the jury room and are like jonesing for effects. I am not one of those people. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it can get pretty boring. I mean, it's very important. We all should be doing our civic duty. If, if we have the means and we're able, uh, and we are called, you know, our country does not ask a lot from us. This is one of the things we we have to do for our freedoms. I believe in all that, but it is, it is wholly boring. There's so (laughs) many people on our jury who tried to get out of it and could not get out of it. And they are now on this jury. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's four weeks and it's, uh, I'm into week two. Well, this is very exciting. And, uh, probably until you're done the last time that we'll talk about it during break. I can't talk about it. Sorry. (laughs) Mm, Reboot rumors. It's been a little while since we've done a reboot rumors. I'm pretty excited to get back into it. Yeah, we've got three rumors to talk about today that will uh, that should get you pretty excited if you're a fan of any one of these series of films. All right, so first up is Pinocchio, which um, I think isn't quite a rumor. I'm pretty sure it's like on the slate, but there's no future date. It's not on IMDb. Um, so, you know, things could change. Uh, so... And, and what's exciting is that recently we found um, that Paul King, the director of the Paddington movies, seems to be or is potentially attached as the director of this film. And now, Jay, you've been talking about Paddington 2, I think, every time I've talked to you. Are you so excited? You've seen it, right? Not yet. Not yet. I will. I, like, I promise you I will at some point in time in this year. Again, I mean, if you haven't seen the Paddington movies. Oh my God. Okay. Yes, we know. We're going to go delightful. see the Paddington movies. They're so and, great. And the thing is, I'm not a big fan of Pinocchio, but if Paul King is in charge, I feel like he can bring a lot more heart to even the original story. Yeah. That's one thing that I find kind of curious about this because I'm not a big fan of Pinocchio. It's, it's. A horrible, harsh, mean, awful... I mean, I haven't seen it in a while, but my memories of it are that this is like a movie about awful things. And it's hard to like Pinocchio. Yeah, it's hard to like anyone in this movie except for Geppetto. And Jiminy Critic. Uh, yeah, Jiminy Cricket. You know, it's funny, I don't remember him at all. But yeah, he was in it. And I think he's a lovable looking character. He's the he's the conscious. He's like oh, he, his conscience. He is a conscious. he's the conscience. He's not he's like the little Yeah, he's like every every person needs somebody to help them guide them and he, the chimney cricket is the cricket. Oh, who I see. guides him on his way to do awful, awful things. Like, and Jiminy Cricket's like, I don't even know why I'm with like when you watch Pinocchio, you're kinda like, dude, I, you're a cricket, man. Like you can leave at any time. You don't need to saddle yourself to this kid who is doing everything in his power to be a shithead. Like such a shithead. I I don't know. I, I don't like this movie. All right, let's move on to this next one. It's not on IMDb yet, but there's an article coming out that they are going to do another Friday the 13th reboot. Uh, it will be released. What's shocking is that it's not even on the slate yet. And there, the rumor is saying it's going to come out November 13th, 2020. The 40th anniversary of the original film, they're going to put the reboot instead of like the original film just out there. Right. Well, I think so. But there's also rumors and questions. Is it going to be a reboot or is it going to be like a way down the road sequel of some sort? I, that's a good point. I've heard that it's a reboot um, because, because the reboot that happened a couple of years ago, people didn't like it. Right. Um, it also kind of fast tracked the whole Jason storyline for from the very first movie to the like the fourth movie in the franchise. Like, why would anyone do all that? Of, all of that was in the 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 reboot. Really? Um, I'm one of the people who 
absolutely loves the new one. Absolutely, 100% loves the new one. It's got darkness. It's scary. It's also uh, a great slasher flick, but it also incorporates all those 80s tropes really, really, really well. I really like the remake, but uh, a lot of people didn't, so they're just going to give it another try. So I guess that's the question is, do you think that um, slashers are dead, slashers are coming back, or they're just trying to make some money for the 40th anniversary? I don't think slashers will ever die. They're really They're not making them now. Yeah, they're very small. I think they're, you know, they are the... If you base it on a trope, like remember the final girls, that was great. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, it was flipping the slasher genre on its head, but it was still the slasher genre. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm beginning to think that um, we've had quite a heyday of these slow paced dramatic horrors, like hauntings, like insidious, that kind of thing. Um, and I think we're going to see ourselves seeing a lot more slashers come into the limelight, but they're all going like to have twists. I'd like to see them back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see slashers come back into some form. Like, the last the last kind of big hurrah of slashers was with Scream. Scream came out and there was a whole bunch after that. Right, yeah. But that was 1995, 96. I think we're due. And and I don't even know that Scream was... I don't know that I would count Scream as a traditional slasher. I mean, yes, we had killers and they were killing people and all that stuff. But Scream was like almost a satirical commentary on slashers more than a slasher itself. Um, right. But then we saw... I know what you did last summer. But that's into, not a slasher either. Oh, that's a slasher for sure. That's not a slasher. You don't have blood and guts. You, you don't. It's it's killing. It's a killer killing people, but it's not a slasher. Sure it is. Why wouldn't you call that a slasher movie? The crabs, the the dismemberment, the hook, the the blood splatters. Yeah, see, to me, none slasher. of that is slasher. Like, you need, like, way more death. And you've like, got, and you've got... A killer whose identity you don't know. Yeah, but see, that's the thing is like a lot of the slashers isn't, it's not about, that's what Scream brought into play is this identity you don't know thing. But like, you know, in Halloween or in Friday the 13th, it's not like it's a killer with an identity you don't know. It's a a monster who's killing you. Like killing and killing and killing and killing. But let's, let's remember... Michael Myers was a was a monster in a mask, and in the first Friday Thirteenth, it was a whodunit that was a twist when it was Jason's mother. Right, that's true. So I don't know if I don't know what you're saying. I think I think if you have a killer and you're watching them kill people, and there's a bunch of people in the film just lined up to die, that's to me a slasher film. I don't know. I guess I'm I'm just I need more blood and I need less mystery. That's a like a slasher offshoot or paying homage to slashers but not the same as a slasher. And our next movie is I'm pretty excited to talk about. You are not excited to talk about. Um it is the movie Jaws. So there is a rumor that they're thinking about redoing Jaws. And this is probably the most rumory of all the ones that we've talked about today. Um, there's literally one article that I found. I did a whole bunch of Google scouring. Um, I mean, not for that long, but, you know, for some time. And uh, I couldn't find anything else. And I got to ask, like, what do you think, Jay, about the concept of remaking Jaws? It's a terrible idea. It's... It's dumb. Don't do it. You'll show the shark and people will laugh. It don't do it. Like But do you think been... that maybe they won't show the shark? Like do you think it'll be one of those scenarios where we've all learned the lesson from Jaws? Don't show the shark. No, because even like the shallows, which I I've got to say is maybe my second favorite shark movie, they still show the shark. Oh, that's they, so they funny want that to show the shark. You, it's your second favorite shark movie. I watched that with uh, 
a, a few friends and they all hated it. They actually, they talk about how it's like one of the worst. Oh, I love it so much. I, I, it's so much fun. And you, it, it's such an interesting scenario where you're all alone on a rock and there's a shark and you... You can see the shore, but it doesn't help. I I loved it so like I, I mean, ask your friends again like what other shark movies they like because when you're thinking of shark movies, it's top of the line. I guess that's the thing. Maybe shark movies is the problem, and that's why I wonder why do they want to remake this? Because Jaws is amazing, but I haven't really seen a shark movie otherwise that's super high quality in in my opinion. I agree. They've got a a big one coming out this summer with Jason Statham called Meg, and it's about a megalodon. Yep. It looks just so silly, ridiculous. Jaws took the, the subject matter seriously. Yes, yes, and you're totally I, right. And I don't know if we're at a point in life where we can go back to that. Okay. With all the shark movies that we have, I don't think you can do Jaws and take the shark seriously. And I mean, for me, a lot of it is that the importance and the beauty of Jaws is the mythology and the stories that come from the making of Jaws. The fact that... Huge part of it. Yeah, like the fact that it's a Spielberg film, the fact that it, you know, is really where he cut his teeth. And from that movie, everyone said, yes, this man, this hardworking man is our our director. Um, Yeah, and... I mean, he shot on the open ocean and got his ass kicked. They're not going to do that again. It's not going to be the same movie. All right. Well, you know, I, I tend to agree. I don't think they should redo it. Some movies just should not be redone. That's right. It would be like, let's do E.T. again. You don't need to. E.T. is fine as it is. You don't need to touch it. I completely agree. Actually, I never got your exact thoughts on the other ones. Should they be redoing Friday the 13th? Your thoughts? Sure. Why not? I, I have no problem with it because Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th, they're already so deep in these franchises anyway, they're going to keep going. Yeah. So, sure. Have at her. I agree. I think that's fine. And what about Pinocchio? Yes or no? Should they redo it? Couldn't hurt. I, I didn't like, I don't like the first one. I, I disagree. I don't think they should redo it partially because I don't like the first one and I just don't see why we would tell this story. Oh, it would be great to have an original story from Disney. I think that would be great, but I think they're going to leave that to their Disney animation department and everything else is going to be like, hey, it worked before. This just in last week. Ivana, I know you're in Pittsburgh while we're we're doing this. Are you missing Tim Hortons? Okay, I drink Tim Hortons, especially if I'm on the road. It actually, like, there there isn't really anything near me in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is not a Tim Hortons hub. But on when I'm driving to and from, which I do quite often, there is a place about two hours out of Pittsburgh where I always stop and I get my Tim Hortons for driving. Well, what if I were to tell you that one in three Tim Hortons customers say their opinion of the chain has actually worsened. And a study has also seen that this Canadian company has plummeted on its annual ranking of corporate reputation among Canadians, dropping from fourth place to 50th. I'm on not surprised. Um, wow, okay. I, I don't know. For years, for years, I've been feeling... I've had that my opinion on Tim Hortons kind of decrease like just year by year. I don't know. There's something about the feeling when you walk into a Tim Hortons. Like if you try to get any customization, it's always a big to do and people hate it and are so unhelpful. It might just be that there's so many other options. That's why it's decreasing. It's possible. I mean, like, Customers are still saying that it still resonates as, as a Canadian brand. They admit they still go to the shop, but it's it's losing its luster for people, you know? Um, the, Canadians are divided. About a third, 32%, see it as an important part of Canada. 38% see it as a very small part, and 38% 
Moors say it has nothing to do with Canadian culture. So I think that's changed. I think Tim Hortons used to mean something to Canadians. And this is now saying almost the majority of Canadians are like, it means nothing or a very small part. Yeah, I mean, I think it means a very small part. What about you? Well, I I think it's uh, it's an identifier for Canada for the world, which is a strange thing. Do you think so? Like, do you think people around the world know what Tim Hortons is? I do. I think that it's it's been parried parodied in How I Met Your Mother. Um, you know, like. It's on CBC as a parody, and I think some. I think people outside, like people outside of the BBC watching, like us. I think they do watch shows that are hilarious, like uh, This Hour Has Twenty Two Minutes, and they see these parodies. I think Tim Hortons is a beacon of people recognizing that's a that's a Canadian thing. I think there's also a Tim Hortons at Epcot. I mean, they're in the States, right? They got bought by a U.S. company. Um, they just don't have a huge presence right. in the States. Right. I think the other thing is that when the mandatory minimum wage went up in parts of Canada, franchise owners said they were going to cut benefits for workers in order to do that. And I think that left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Yeah, there was a, a lot of boycotts. A lot of people started boycotting Tim Hortons. Uh, Rick Mercer, who if you are not from Canada, he's a very prominent political um, satirist. He did a big rant about Tim Hortons and and they're doing this to minimum wage workers and how horrendous he thought that was. I totally agree. I, I think the idea of saying, oh, well, we have to pay you more and rather than charging people, you know, 10 cents more for something. I really think this, not to get off Tim Hortons, but I really think there's a, just so the rest of Canada who's listening and the rest of the world who's listening, I live in Ontario and there's a election coming up in June. And I think this minimum wage thing is going to be a very, very important piece of me and my vote. Because I think it's great as it is. I don't care that some businesses cannot afford to pay and it hurt, and it hurts them. I, I think you should be paying people more. I don't like that it took the government saying this is the standard of living so people can actually exist in this country. And you've been taking advantage of people for so long. I, I'm glad that it's there. I mean, what if one that's day what, I that's need what to rely on it? Governments are for, and that is why I think that's a strong and great move that our government did that. Because, you know, if you asked, you know, a, a corporation's bottom line, they'd love to pay less to everybody. Like Of course they would. I I like the idea if God forbid I lose my job. And I need some kind of income. It's not going to be so small it doesn't matter. Right. Totally. I, I completely agree. I, I think it's great. And I think that I understand that there are small businesses that it may be a problem for them. But I'll be honest with you. When I was in high school and stuff and I had um, a part-time job that would be like in and around that minimum wage, I worked for a small company, not a franchise, not in anything that has these fees that you're paying to get a brand. Like literally like a mom and pop type scenario. And they paid me more than minimum wage. And they paid and they treated me really fairly. And I got got raises. And And I, I appreciated it so much. So much. And I worked there... For so long, like, and I, and I still, I, now I'll go there to shop. Like I, it's a luggage store. So if I have to buy luggage, I go there and I look and I, and I want to give them my money now that I'm not working there anymore. I understand if it's going to, it's, it's hard, but I like, I don't know what else to tell you. Everybody should be making that. You should be making that. Everybody should be making it. If they're starting out, they need to, there needs to be a higher sense of, what I bring in actually matters. I love that. It's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. 
Last week, we asked you to watch The Autopsy of Jane Doe. I just want to mention that I had the pleasure of watching this movie during Midnight Madness at TIFF. And it was my first Midnight Madness at TIFF, and it was amazing. That would have been fun. I I had this movie. I'm going to say that this is a spoilable movie, and it was spoiled for me. And I... Oh, you we'll knew. Get into it. You knew going in. And and did it ruin it? I don't know. I guess we'll find out later. But uh, I don't, I loved it. I I think perhaps I think more fondly of the movie than it deserves because it was my first time at Midnight Madness and Midnight Madness is so fun. They like do balloons and it's so interactive and it's such a cool experience. It's past your bedtime, Mister. But super past my bedtime. Maybe one year you'd be willing to do it. It's possible. I'd have to really train to stay up that late. <laughs> All right, so what is the autopsy of Jane Doe? Well, Tommy and Austin are a father and son pair who run a morgue in a small town. When a sheriff brings a body of a young woman and needs an autopsy conducted quickly, Tommy decides to take it on alone and let his son go out with his girl. Even though he's just finished another autopsy and was about to close up. But since the recent death of his mother, Austin feels obligated to stick around and work on the autopsy of this Jane Doe with his father. The girl's body is presented and it's in pristine condition. The two begin to work on the body. They discover the girl's tongue has been removed and her wrists and ankles are broken. But other than that, there's nothing so much as a scratch on the body. So Tommy begins to cut into the cadaver, and strange things begin to happen. An old song plays on the radio, and begins to warn of a coming storm, and that they aren't going anywhere. As Tommy cracks open her body, they find out that her body was tortured, and broken, and burned, all seemingly from the inside out. They also find a piece of fabric inside the body, one with what appears to be ritualistic markings. And that is when all hell breaks loose. Sounds begin to happen all around them. They find their cat dead, and then the corpses are trying to kill them. It's very haunted house creepy. And now this is spoiler. And remember how I said, spoiler, it spoiled me. The pair try to burn the body with fire when they discover this girl was an innocent from the 1700s and must have been accused as being a witch in Salem. And somehow, all the torture that was bestowed on her is now wreaking havoc anywhere her body is disturbed. And Tommy says, take me, but spare the boy. And immediately he begins the painful torture of his own. His bones break. He turns like burns from the inside. His heart stops. And it seems that all is well. But fuck that. Austin's going to pay too. He is on a second story trying to escape when he sees his dead father coming for him. And he falls to his death. The film ends with a body looking pristine once more. And it's ordered to a new county. It's likely to commit its same vengeance again and again. So by far the best part for me in this film is the reveal that this is a 1700s, a body from the 1700s who had all of these rituals and awful tortures and burns and everything done to her uh, and revealed that uh, she was she was said to be a witch, which right. now has invoked all this terrorizing shit. That was the coolest reveal, and I knew it was coming um, because another another podcast had revealed that it was she was a witch. So I was like, "Oh, when's that going to happen?" And I think if I hadn't known, I would have been. I would have liked the movie more. I did like the atmosphere. I liked uh, the actors are incredibly likable. I loved that they never tried to sexualize this woman. She was she was naked, a cadaver. Um, by all accounts, a beautiful young woman. But there was never any sexualizing of her. Um, there was nobody who was disrespectful of the room. Um and for the most part, you were rooting for these guys to make it through the night. But then you get this this slant of like, no, people need to pay. Unfortunately, these men are here. They're going to pay for the 
for what happened to her when she was an innocent. And it like it is a great idea, great story. I think it's fantastic. It's like To be honest for me, the thing that I think I love the most about this movie, and you're right, like I didn't know anything. I didn't know the twist, so I got to experience it, you know, without any spoilers. But for me, I think the thing that was so strong about this movie was the the pacing. Like you're right. They were super respectful. They were there to do an autopsy and they wanted to solve the mystery through this autopsy. And what started as, oh, okay, well, I'll do you a favor and do this autopsy turned into what the heck is going on? I need to find the answer to this story. Um, and, and also survive. At one point, uh, the son, Austin, looks at Tommy, his father, and it's like, we have to get out of here. But then they realize they're not going anywhere. Yeah, that's the cool part is when that when there's no way to get out. Like when the house kind of like closes in on itself. So what ends up happening is uh, they hear a storm going on outside and, and they can't lift to get out of the, the morgue basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's, I guess, a tree or something holding it down. And so the whole, it becomes incredibly claustrophobic at that point. You're absolutely right. Yeah, like, I, I, I loved it, the fact that it was in a basement. I don't know, the pacing was great. The atmosphere, it was spooky enough, but also realistic. Like, it didn't seem crazy spooky, like when you go into a haunted house or something. Yeah, and the scares are genuine, and they're they're good scares. They're not like, boo. They're, they're like, oh, watch this thing coming towards you. And it's genuinely like, if you saw that, you would not be happy. Right. Um... I think the only thing that I didn't like about the movie was that both these characters, um, one is played by Emile Hirsch uh, from The Girl Next Door, and the other is Brian Cox. Um, They're so nice. Really nice people. Like, they didn't do anything wrong, and they're not assholes, so when they, they do end up dying, I think I, my heart was broken. Like you, Your heart does break. It, it really does. Like There's something in it that is, is saying that the horrible things that happened to this woman were not her fault. And the horrible things that are about to happen to you are not your fault. But things happen and it's terrible. And you... And... and and people in society did this to me and invoked whatever is now doing this to you. Yeah. Yeah, and because they And you you disturbed my body. So it's going to happen again. Well, I, it sounds like she kind of like... I forget now... I'm, I'm forgetting the mystery. Maybe you can fill us in. What was it? She was found in somebody's house. The, the house burned down and they just found this body in the ground and completely it was in the basement of the house in dirt and it looked like she had been covered up for a long time and then she was sort of dug up in the basement right but that so i think that was the disturbance right yeah that was the disturbance that started this force and and then everybody in the house died of course everyone in the house dies and everybody's so confused because her body looks pristine and they're like you have to do this autopsy right now because she should not have been pristine. Right. It's an interesting film. Ivana, the day has come where you are going to sit through Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yay! I'm actually really excited. I've always, I I want to watch this movie. I need to be assigned homework sometimes. (laughs) It is the first instance of Indiana Jones, so you may have to look for Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. But the original title was just Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, you know, movies with George Lucas involved, they sometimes change the title to A New Hope or whatever. But uh, yeah, so you're going to be watching the very first one. Came out in 1981. Uh, if you haven't seen Raiders, please put it on your list and watch it with us next week. Otherwise, uh, you can refresh it like I would. And that's the show. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next week. If you'd like to support the show, you can hop onto your podcast service and subscribe. And if you're feeling really generous, why not score a quick rating or a review? Our intro song comes from bensound.com, and we encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors, and sound effects. Ivana and I love hearing from you, so we actually built this website on how you can reach us. 
at morethemovies.net. But in case you hate websites, you can email us hello at morethemovies.net. Find us on Facebook, More Than Movies Podcast. Or catch either of us on Twitter. I'm at it's Savannah. I'm at Jester J. Thanks again for spending some time with us. We'll be back again next week with an all-new commercial-free episode. And until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more. <laughs> <laughs>